Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and um, tonight I'm going to be looking a little bit further at David Harvey's brief history of neoliberalism. If you recall, a few weeks ago we um, looked at that about the um, the, the origins of neoliberalism, uh, where this idea, uh, this economic doctrine, comes from. And tonight we're going to look at the uh, development of uh, China in the um, the neoliberal system. Okay, so firstly, let's go back to first principles and talk about what we mean. Now, here's one of these terms that has come to mean everything and nothing. Um, And the the, the problem, of course, is that it's uh, an economic doctrine that's been around with us for about 40 years. And so it's gone through numerous transitions in that time. There are times that um, neoliberalism under Margaret Thatcher Um, meant different things than neoliberalism under, say, David Cameron or um, Barack Obama. What you might think of as neoliberalism uh, now perhaps couldn't be described as that uh, following the financial crash of 2008. So, in in the simplest possible terms, neoliberalism is the uh, reintroduction of or the rebirth of uh, economic liberalism, a kind of economic liberalism that supposedly existed in the Victorian and Edwardian eras. This is reintroduced in the um, uh, the, the late 1970s. Um, what that meant was that the size of the state uh, in uh, democratic countries would be shrunk, the duties of the state, which had grown throughout the 20th century, would be shrunk, that privatisation, the um, handing over at a huge discount of state-run industries to uh, private hands uh, would um, happen uh, at a, an increasing pace. Uh, the idea behind this was the assumption that uh, private industry is always more efficient than, uh, the, than the state can possibly be. The uh, the scope of collective bargaining in society would be ground down, uh, union rights would be gradually eroded, uh, and this would mean that uh, there would be 
um, uh, more power in the hands of employers. And the euphemistic way of putting it was that um, the Western world would develop flexible labour markets, i.e. workers would com would work for whatever labour cost was uh, offered to them, whatever wage was offered to them, um, and they would then compete amongst themselves. Instead of using, using collective uh, bargaining, they would compete, compete amongst themselves, and this would drive labour costs down. The only problem with that, well, one of the many, many problems with that, is that as you drive labour costs down, it stifles innovation. Um, there is no need to create uh, new technologies and then um, gradually burn meaningless um, or repetitive or um, uh, manual labour out of the system uh, forever if you can rely on manual labour and cheap manual labour at that. So the difference between wages and uh, prices, uh, which gradually grew throughout the uh, 1970s and into the 1980s, was that gap was plugged by debt. If one liberalises consumer credit, credit cards, loans, mortgages, higher purchase agreements, then you can uh, exist on you know, lower wages uh, and keep consumerism uh, going round. And so what one eventually winds up with in 2008 is an immense debt crisis, both uh, national and uh, individual debt, state and private debt. Um, so as David Harvey uh, points out, that capitalism never really solves its crisis, it simply kicks the can down the road and the crisis kind of morphs into something else uh, later on. So the, the proponents of neoliberalism, um, the uh, most obvious ones being Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, but obviously there were uh, many, many uh, decades of ideological, more, more faceless and nameless uh, ideologues behind them, argued that economic freedom and personal freedom are essentially the same thing. That's a, a large state... Um, a growing state that taxes um, and redistributes eventually becomes tyrannical. This was basically the, the founding ideas of the likes of Friedrich von Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and the various Austrian and Swiss, uh, the um, Viennese and Genevan uh, neoliberal uh, economists of the 1920s and 30s who re-emerged after the Second World War, um, that uh, Thatcher apparently read um, the Hayek's The Road to Freedom during the Second World War. Um, the, this idea um, was uh, propounded that individuals could be free of the state. The state was not a source of solutions, it was a source of problems. Uh, and that if it stepped out of the way, then individual enterprise would flourish uh, and that um, here we have this, this notion of liberalism, of um, uh, classic liberalism, is all about um, a, uh, a, a scepticism about state power. And this kind of neoliberalism was really uh, about bribing certain demographics with, uh, vote with uh, tax cuts and presenting to them the, the rather attractive idea 
that the the overspending state had no business running things like airlines, which is perhaps a plausible argument to make, uh, and no business running things like health services or schools eventually, which has become much more harder to sustain. Um, right now, here in Great Britain, the enthusiasm for railway nationalisation, for the renationalisation of the post office, for an end to privatisation in prisons, for an end to privatisation in such delicate areas as probation services, uh, is um, huge and growing. Anyway, we're not going to talk about Britain and America on this long, long digression. We're going to talk about China. So how does, in 1978, China, which has no tradition of liberalism whatsoever, uh, or no dominant tradition of liberalism anyway, um, how does China manage to slot itself into the, the neoliberal order? Well, it manages to do so by providing the labour force for neoliberalism over the next 20 years. Now, what China represents to the West is something absolutely pivotal. Um, throughout the uh, 1980s and the 1990s, uh, the, with the advent of China and India into the kind of the, the, the world economic order, uh, into the, the world labour market, if you will, uh, the labour market effectively doubles. Um, that uh, creates another downward press on uh, wages in, in the West, um, as uh, firstly manufacturing work is outsourced to China and India um, and other um, uh, Southeast Asian countries. And then also so is clerical work and eventually high-tech work, uh, meaning that uh, labour in the West has um, to compete on uh, less favourable circumstances and also um, it places employers once again in the great position of power of being able to globalise uh, manufacturing, globalise production uh, and reap the, reap the upside uh, as a result of that. Anyway, so here is what David Harvey has to say. In December 1978, Faced with the dual difficulties of political uncertainty in the wake of Mao's death in 1976 and several years of economic stagnation, the Chinese leadership under Deng Xiaoping announced a programme of economic reform. We may never know uh, for sure whether Deng was all along a secret capitalist roader, as Mao had, Mao had claimed during the Cultural Revolution, or whether the reforms was simply a desperate move to ensure China's economic security and bolster its prestige in the face of the rising tide of capitalist development in the rest of East and Southeast Asia. So, uh, that, I mean, a crucial point is, of course, while China is ripping itself apart uh, and experiencing essentially a civil war during the Cultural Revolution, countries such as Taiwan, South Korea, uh, Hong Kong uh, and Singapore were um, pulling ahead dramatically in their standards of living um, and were showing uh, China uh, and China's um, uh, Maoist path to be really kind of um, uh, utterly uh, dysfunctional, um, uh, brutal and unproductive uh, systems um, in terms of the, their ability to, to raise living standards. Having um, the 
the kind of the most cutthroat uh, capitalism parked off your off your shore is is kind of um, uh, an interesting way of, of of motivating even the most ardent Maoist. The reforms happened to coincide. And it's very hard to consider that this is anything other than a conjunctural accident of world historical significance, with the turn to neoliberal solutions in Britain and the United States. The outcome in China has been the construction of a particular kind of market economy that increasingly incorporates neoliberal elements interdigited with authoritarian and centralised control. Now that's the key thing here. China did not follow the the classic neoliberal path of Great Britain and America that decried the the power of the state. When Ronald Reagan said, you know, the the state isn't the the solution, it is is the problem. The state can't solve your problems, it is the problem itself. Um, The the Chinese uh, government, the Chinese communist government, uh, while wanting to embrace some degree of market reforms, certainly would never have entertained that concept at all. Uh, the the state in Great Britain uh, and state spending, at least in America, increased during the 1980s. For all Reagan's rhetoric uh, about the overweening state, certainly in terms of the defence budget alone, the state dramatically grew. So just because we're talking about leaders such as Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher who had um, ideological convictions, it doesn't necessarily mean that the uh, outcomes were consistent with the, the, the viewpoints. Despite the unimaginable brutality of the Maoist era, um, the uh, horrors of uh, the period of, of liberation, which Frank Dakota argues claimed at least five million lives, um, the famine from 1958 to 62, and the upheavals and mass killing of the, the Cultural Revolution, there was still a conviction amongst um, Mao and his supporters that egalitarianism uh, was their, their goal. In large part, this was a kind of a negative egalitarianism. It was the, the mass killing of landowners um, and those who sort of supposedly had uh, bourgeois origins. Uh, it didn't necessarily uh, make anyone particularly better off. And in cases, in the, in the, the kind of the catastrophe of the second five-year plan, or the, the Great Leap Forward, uh, which resulted in uh, the Great Famine. Uh, any gains made uh, by large numbers of Chinese were uh, wiped out by this, this horrific event. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, but egalitarianism was an equality, um, was a long-term uh, ambition for the Maoist regime. Um, and Deng Xiaoping uh, perhaps convinced himself um, certainly tried to convince others that um, individual and local initiative had to be unleashed in order uh, to increase productivity and economic growth. So the establishment of special economic zones, the first being in Shenzhen, across the border from uh, Hong Kong, uh, where free enterprise, not so much, well, perhaps free is not quite the right word, but um, enterprise um, and the retention of profits um, was allowed, was uh, the, the very beginnings of, of, of this process. The government um, saw these little enclaves of capitalism uh, within China as something that had to be very, very fiercely quarantined and uh, initially. And Deng had uh, a, uh, a lot of uh, opposition from the, the Maoist old guard um, that... Uh, saw uh, these as kind of almost like kind of cancers in, in, in an otherwise healthy patient that China had been cured of capitalism. Um, David Harvey writes, uh, the corollary uh, that certain levels of inequality would inevitably rise was well understood as something that would need to be tolerated. Under the slogan of Xiao Kang, the concept of an ideal society that provides well for all its citizens Deng focused on the four modernizations in agriculture, industry, education, and science and defense. The reforms strove to bring market forces to bear internally within the Chinese economy. The idea was to stimulate competition between state-owned firms and thereby spark, it was hoped, uh, innovation and growth. This had been tried before, to some degree, in, in the Soviet Union, by uh, Alexei Kosygin um, and uh, Brezhnev, uh, who had attempted to create a kind of a quasi-hybrid marketized system, giving factory owners more autonomy, um, allowing for factory employees to be dismissed if necessary, um, allowing for um, workers to be incentivized uh, to work harder and to do do better work, um, it was largely a failure. In part because of the kind of unyielding bureaucracy in the Soviet Union, and also because one either introduces market reforms or one does not. Um, and market reforms 
are something that's uh, hard to contain or to discourage when it, it suits, uh, as Kosygin and, and Brezhnev uh, found out. Uh, eventually, the uh, the whole kind of project was shelved until the the, the Gorbachev uh, era. Market pricing, writes David Harvey, was introduced, but this was probably far less significant than the rapid devolution of political economic power to the regions and uh, and localities. This last move proved to be particularly astute. Confrontation with traditional power centres in Beijing was avoided, and local initiatives could pioneer the way to a new social order. Innovations that failed could simply be ignored. To supplement this effort, China was also opened up, albeit under strict state supervision, to foreign trade and foreign investment, thus ending China's isolation from the world market. China had deliberately spurned um, world trade in 1949 to 1950, uh, adopting uh, simply one relationship with the Soviet Union uh, under the first Sino-Soviet uh, Treaty of Friendship, one which later Mao regretted and saw as being uh, ruthlessly exploitative uh, and something that he um, uh, came to resent deeply. Um, but this was undone by uh, by Deng, and the one thing um, that the Chinese believed they had to sell to the rest of the world was their their labour force. Experimentation was initially limited mainly to Guangdong province, where Shenzhen is, as previously mentioned, close to Hong Kong, conveniently remote from Beijing. One aim of this opening to the outside was to procure technology transfers, hence the emphasis on joint ventures between foreign capital and Chinese partners. Um, as we can see, this is particularly with the United States of America at the moment, this is a hugely uh, sensitive area uh, of in intellectual property theft. And um, the um, desire by China to become... Um, uh, technologically dominant um, within the, the next 10 years, which is in, entirely possible. Um, American presidents, beginning with Nixon in the 1970s, in uh, 1972, believed, and, and later with, with Jimmy Carter in 1978, believed it was no longer viable or no longer even desirable to leave China outside the world system outside the, um, the uh, as a pariah state, uh, and that um, China couldn't be um, serve any purpose uh, and could only cause trouble or be uh, unstable uh, outside of this system. And so, a degree of technology transfer, a degree of uh, IP theft, was something that was in in some ways to be to be tolerated, uh, and the Chinese quite explicit that they needed and wanted. Uh, new, uh, particularly computer technologies. Um, these reforms would not have assumed the significance we now accord to them, nor would China's extraordinary subsequent economic evolution have taken the path and registered uh, the achievements it did, writes David Harvey, had there not been significant and seemingly unrelated parallel shifts in the advanced capitalist world with respect to how the world market worked. The gathering strength of neoliberal policies on international trade during the 1980s opened up the whole world 
to transformative market and financial forces. So the, the, the role of China, its large workforce and its relatively cheap labour costs had a massively important part to play in the development of world globalisation in the 1980s uh, and, and 1990s. Um, it had a uh, it, it became the world's workshop, the world's kind of manufacturing base as um, uh, Western countries saw a comparative advantage in deindustrializing themselves and uh, focusing on high-tech industries and financial services. But it also required the world economy to kind of break itself into pieces and reassemble itself. Um, during the 1970s, as America abandoned the uh, gold standard uh, and other countries sort of left for the exits as well, the Bretton Woods system um, that was dreamt up uh, by um, uh, John Maynard Keynes, among others, in 1944, as a way of managing uh, the uh, in international uh, trade deficits and surpluses and the, the flow of capital around the world um, to create economic and therefore political and therefore um, uh, diplomatic stability uh, after the Second World War. This needed to be uh, broken up, or this was broken up, um, as the world went through a long economic slump in the 1970s. And during the, kind of the neoliberal era, the inclusion of China into uh, the world system uh, with its labour market was um, something that previously would have been uh, unthinkable um, as a result of, of Bretton Woods. The spectacular emergence of China as a global economic power after 1980 was in part an unintended consequence of the neoliberal turn in the advanced capitalist world. So to recap, China um, was a country that embraced a degree of market reform and a degree of openness. It was uh, allowed itself to a degree to be integrated into the world economic system and in doing so radically transformed it um, by uh, bringing in hundreds of millions of new workers um, which were incredibly cheap in comparative terms compared to, to Western workers. The Chinese have never adopted a policy, or the Chinese government has never adopted a policy of uh, allowing its industry uh, or its economy to be left to the vagaries of market forces. As we see at the moment during the coronavirus crisis, some of the basic assumptions of neoliberalism um, have been swept away. Governments who would previously have said that uh, government, the, the role of government is not to get involved in the economy, that uh, this distorts market forces, it distorts price signals, it uh, encourages uh, welfare dependency, it makes labour markets too expensive by subsidising them with welfare benefits, all this sort of stuff. That has been thrown out of the window. Uh, within uh, a matter of days, um, the life's work of Margaret Thatcher uh, in Britain uh, was um, started to be shredded um, during uh, the uh, post-election budget, and that has uh, been concluded uh, with the the various proposed um, 
bailouts of uh, industry uh, and the subsidising of uh, wages um, while workers are on furlough, all, all that sort of thing. Well, the, the, philosophy, the, the philosophy of the uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party um, has been to uh, incorporate the elements of neoliberalism that led to greater prosperity but to remain an active role in economic planning, something that was an anathema, or, and um, to um, the, uh, the various neoliberal governments during the 1980s and 90s, uh, and to um, retain control over state industries, um, and to have a, a complex and opaque relationship between uh, state and industry, uh, which is, is worthy of further examination uh, in the not-too-distant future. Now, exciting news as a result of the um, very kind people who have sponsored uh, the podcast over the last couple of years. We've now accrued enough money to actually buy some technical equipment, such as a microphone, which is the first time on the Explaining History podcast that um, we've really been able to afford that. Uh, previously I've just spoken to my uh, laptop, but it's time to uh, to raise the game really, to uh, improve sound quality uh, for everybody uh, that so patiently listens to this podcast and writes nice things on review websites here and there. So um, do check us out on the Explaining History Patreon page. Um, as you can see, all your donations go to a good cause. Uh, not to fund my extravagant lifestyle. Um, and um, there is always interesting new content going up there. And you can always find us on the Explaining History Facebook group, where, again, when I find useful, interesting and topical tidbits on history, memory, politics and catastrophes various, I place them there. Take good care, everybody. Have yourselves an excellent week. Stay safe, stay indoors, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 